This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Just on one more turn to go. The crowd roaring. Rick Mears heads toward number four. He's down the main straightaway. Here's Bob Jenkins. Rick Mears becomes the third four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, winning the Diamond Jubilee Edition, the 75th running of this great speed classic. Rick Mears has won the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Allinger Jr. has the lead. One more turn to go. Here they come. Coming to the finish line. Bob Jenkins, who's going to win it? The checkered flag is out. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Al Unzer Jr. has become the first second-generation driver to win an Indianapolis 500. Al Unzer Jr. has done it. Well, the pace car is uh, still on the racetrack. Let's see. It moves through uh, corner number four. And Goodyear went around the pace car. He went around the pace car. The green flag is coming out. The pace car is now off the racetrack. We are under green at Indianapolis. We'll see what happens. And indeed, the 24 car of Scott Goodyear will get the black flag. Goodyear is being penalized for passing the race, the pace car on a restart, and that is going to give the lead to Jacques Villeneuve. The checkered flag is waving, and Jacques Villeneuve wins the 1995 Indianapolis 500. The youngest driver in the field at 24 years of age has won at Indianapolis. Gordon with the lead. Slower traffic. Kenny Breck. Now Gordon's pulling in. He's pulling in. Kenny Breck has got it. Robbie Gordon, we didn't think he could make it. Kenny Breck has picked up the lead. Now with one lap remaining, checker flags are out, and you name it, a new face will adorn the Borg Warner Trophy as Kenny Breck wins the 83rd Indianapolis 500-mile race. And who will be there to greet him? Four-time Indianapolis 500 winner, A.J. Foyt. Some memories from the 90s. New memories will be made coming up in, oh, just a little more than a week and a half for the 106th Indianapolis 500. First day of official practice. Complete welcome. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumsa is back in our Indianapolis studios. Sam and I have uh, moved to a new location, all three of us at the track today. Sam was uh, running controls for IndyCar Radio. Kurt, I think, is still entrenched at the world's greatest race course. So what did we think about day one that started bright and early in very cool conditions, or actually really comfortable conditions at 9 a.m.? Ended up a little bit hot by the time we finished up. Well, it was fantastic because we got a longer session than normal. You know, normally these days in May start at noon and we spend the morning just kind of kind of acclimating ourselves to, uh, you know, the garage area and pit road and just kind of easing into the morning. But not today. Cars on track at nine o'clock. Cars at speed at nine fifteen. And uh, except for that break in the middle where we watched one car go through a refresher program. It was uh, pretty much all hands on deck all day. A lot of laps turned, 3,200-plus laps. And so that's a very productive day for what really amounted to five hours of of practice time. And and then tomorrow, we'll get back on the noon to six regimen that we're familiar with. We'll do that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So 
a, a bit of a unique day, but a fun day. And I'm glad to see the cars going in the direction that they were intended at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I like the road course race, but it's always nice when uh, cars are racing toward the, the, the south end of the racetrack. And a good clean day. The only cautions all day were for either track inspections or debris. So they got a lot of work done today. Or a fox. Um, we did have a oh, fox that's on right. the racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he did some scurrying. He was uh, he was in road course configuration, going the wrong direction from turn four toward turn three, and and made the really smart decision before the before that group of three or four cars came into the north chute, and uh, he hopped over the wall. So good for him. Good for him to understand the. Uh, the ramifications of staying on the racetrack. And so, yeah, I think that was, it was great to, to have that uh, clean day. And, and by the way, the open today, love hearing those, the nineties, obviously a time when I've spent, I think I saw every lap turned here in the 1990s and, and listening to uh, the disappointments for Scott Goodyear, for Robbie Gordon, uh, for those guys that, uh, you know, Goodyear could have been a three-time winner of the Indy 500 with just a little bit to go his way. And uh, and hear Bob Lamey's calls. Bob uh, has another octave level that he reaches when calling <laughs> these uh, races, and and it's just spectacular. I, I love listening to Lamey in turn four. And I was standing next to him when Goodyear passed the pace car that year. I was a spotter back in uh, 1995 when, when – Jack Villeneuve won the race. Uh, by the way, if you've sent a tweet, you probably should send it again because when we do these long-form Peacock shows, I get a lot of tweets even on a day when we weren't really soliciting them. So send in something new. I, I remember seeing a couple of hashtag track sites, so I'll try to go back and find those from today. We weren't super overwhelmed, but but I have gotten a little bit behind from the last week or so. So if you've sent something in, uh, please send it in again, and we can address that tonight. Uh, give us, if for someone, uh, people that have real jobs today, tell us who did well and what happened to the track. Some, some speeds, Kurt. In other words, you got out of the track without the speed chart. So, uh, Takuma no, I can Sato find it. I, I believe a... I've put my word count in. I'm going to let you take over for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Takuma Sato uh, delivered the fastest lap of the day just before the end of the session. Uh, we're getting closer to that 39-second uh, flat mark 39.3 which equates to nearly 229 miles per hour 228.939 officially scott dixon had the best time most of the day at 227.7 jimmy johnson really the story of the day i think not only was he fastest or third fastest in his uh overall speed but he was also third fastest in the no toe report which isn't too significant today given that most of the action was in group running, but he ran 227.7, followed by Marcus Erickson and Renas VK rounding out the top five. Alex Pelot was sixth, which means Ganassi racing at least on day one, which, again, doesn't mean a lot. We're early in the week, and guys are just basically going through the uh, through the checklist of to getting things done to start the preparation in earnest for uh, the days ahead, but... Chip Ganassi Racing has the second fastest car, the third fastest, the fourth fastest, and the sixth fastest. So four of the top six are Ganassi cars. David Malukas was a nice day, which means Dale Coyne Racing had a good day. 
David Malukas, the rookie, was seventh. That pairs nicely with Takuma Sato on the on the top of the speed chart, and you have two Dale Coyne cars uh, up there. Uh, this was mentioned on the Peacock broadcast. I'm not sure which one of you said it, but it was appropriate that it doesn't seem to matter whether uh, which driver Dale Coyne has, which engineer uh, they go through. They have gone through a lot of them as they as their uh, stars have been plucked away by by other race teams over the last several years, but they continue to be fast at Indy. And this is another good example. Takuma, I mean, he he has been my pick uh, as one of the two favorites many years here in the last five. And, you know, he's not very far from being a three- or four-time winner himself. That was very impressive what they were able to do today. Um, So I totally missed this. In the final few minutes of practice, Stefan Wilson did get out at the end of practice and their speed is not that far off of Romain Grosjean Wilson. Yes. He was slowest 222.232 miles per hour, but Grosjean was only 222.9. I think that's super impressive and I'll be honest. Uh, and, and this is not just me. This is kind of the chatter in the garage. As I walked through before we went on air this morning, I, I don't think there were super high expectations about what this program would B, not only because it was just put together and you've got, you know, three different crews coming together, but you've got a road course car that's not been properly prepared the way every other car in this race is. I'm not saying they're going to qualify in the top 15 or anything like that, and and they still might qualify last. But I am now more optimistic that they've got a chance of – maybe staying out of last row depending on the time they draw and so forth so really impressed with what dragon speed and foyt and cusick motorsports and the driver stefan wilson did i agree you know we we kind of wrote that off as as one that would be significantly off the pace and i don't know why i mean i know all the reasons why we thought that based on what you just uh, laid out but you know these are quality people uh El- Elton Julian's bunch. I mean, that you know, they got Will Phillips and and uh, you know John Saman- uh, John, John, John Kaminsky. Kaminsky. It was a John Samansky that used to work at Newman Haas, but with John <laughs> Kaminsky. Uh, but uh, you know, those are pros. Those are I mean, Will Phillips was the technical director of IndyCar for heaven's sake. So they've got talent. They've you know they know what they're doing. But you're right. It's the point that that this car was in road course configuration like 48 hours ago and, and barely, <laughs> you know, we, I just heard on Dan Dockage's show, they were playing the replay on the, on the replay before us. And Alexander Rossi said the car he's driving hasn't been touched. hasn't turned a lap since last year's Indy 500 because they've been saving it. They've been, mm-hmm. you know, massaging it and getting it ready for this day and, and so forth. And Tatiana Calderon was driving a road course car in the rain that she handed over, essentially, or the team did to Stefan Wilson today. So you're right. There's there's just no explanation for why that car is as competitive as it is so quickly. But good for them. They got 10 laps in officially today, and they've got more time to continue building. The other one that, that I might single out, mostly because he was the slowest car during the test and he, he was happy. Uh, and, and so I'll give him his happiness and 
that's that's you know his experience is worth quite a bit. But Juan Pablo Montoya was 31st today after being 32nd at the test. So that's that's interesting to watch. Uh, we'll see how long that continues. And Ed Carpenter was back there as well. So was Rossi, for that matter. So you've got some some guys with a lot of Indianapolis Motor Speedway experience way down on the charts today. Of course, you know, talk to me on Friday, and we'll see how we feel about that. But uh, you know, those guys got a lot of laps today, and we'll uh, we'll have to see how it trends. You know how how these things continue over the next few days. And I ask Hinch this, too, and this has been my assumption that, you know, you almost always have to read the quotes, talk to the driver, and then gauge how much you trust that driver. The quotes don't even really do it. You need to see their inflection uh, and, and get a sense of where they're at. I love when I'm on pit lane being able to see the driver and how that conversation is going with the engineer. And usually before I talk to them, I might have a little bit of an idea of whether it's good or bad, bad but... I'm not willing to say that the Ed Carpenter cars at all are off at this point. You just don't know. Did you? So, so you, you need to have a toe and you need to, need to have the right toe. So that means you need to be behind someone, but at the right distance. You can't be four car lengths behind. You need to be 25 car lengths behind. And it needs to be someone that you can catch up to, but just barely. So all the things have to work and play. Someone can't come out of pit lane and getting your way in the middle of your best lap. So, you know, it's kind of like morning warm-up on a road course race. I never even look at the speed chart for that because it doesn't mean anything because they're using push to pass. Some are and putting a big lap. Some are using different types of tires. Some are on heavy fuel loads and so forth. And I think that somewhat applies, but you can still get a read on something because, like we say, you are going to race in – in a draft and at some point you're going to have to show speed to be able to get around someone uh so you know i think we do feel the ganassi cars are good um the penske cars weren't super fast but we heard from all three penske drivers and so so i'm trying to remember what new garden and power said i don't know that power was super enlightening maybe it was and i missed it i know mclaughlin was happy i recall that interview do you recall the others of, of where they felt and, and what they thought they got accomplished today? You're right. Power was kind of indifferent to the session. Mm-hmm. He he didn't have quite the enthusiasm or the excitement or just the energy in his voice. It was very unwill-like. Uh, I don't remember hearing from, from Newgarden, and I didn't speak to him. He was ninth on the speed chart. Uh, again, I, I place more about the speed chart today to just being day one, not not because somebody was in the draft or not in the draft or they got timing or they didn't get timing. I just think, you know, you're in a you have a you have a plan and you have a pace and you want to get through certain, you know, check marks over the next, you know, really 24 to 48 hours. And then as Thursday and Friday get here, you start to get a little more sense. But um, something else that was said today and I thought really makes a lot of sense because there are 33 car and driver combinations and not 34 hence no bumping i think the saturday practice uh is going to be more of a more of a real practice as opposed to a qualifying simulation practice i think i think that this thing in terms of just getting ready for the race well you'll still have 
Yeah, I think you're going to have but, some of that. I think Hitchcliffe, Hitchcliffe mm. brought that up today. Did he? Uh, yeah, he mentioned that it I would should be listen more to of him. a regular practice. <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh, he was he was very good today. In fact, he did a lot of talking. So the idea that uh, you know you didn't have a good helper was is not true. He was very good today. The point oh, is, I knew he'd be good. Uh, the point is, it's uh, you know the speed chart is is you know true, but but I think uh, it's just day one. That's the way I look at so it. So let. Let's revisit it, and I'll ask him about that. So there was about a six – I took a, a six-minute break for lunch where I took the headset off, and he and Parker – and by the way, it was nice to have Parker Clearman with us, who uh, is a front-running – you know, he does a part-time truck schedule, and he's 14th in points. You know, he's missed several races because he always runs up front. He's finished in the top five a few times, and he's an IndyCar fan. You know, he was in Formula Cars, and this is kind of where he wanted to be, and the opportunities ended up in stock car racing. Um, but that would surprise me on Saturday in the hour and a half. The only way that happens is if it rains two days this week, in my opinion. And one, because they're in a qualifying boost. And yeah, that's true. My, rec- my recollection is, I remember asking this, can they turn it down? And I believe I was told no, that they have to run the qualifying boost on Friday and Saturday, so that does you no good at all to work on your race car because that's not the way the rate that's not the horsepower that you're going to have. And I also think that even though there's no bumping, the only way you're not working on your qualifying car is if you're just slow. <laughs> and you know you're gonna be somewhere between twenty seventh and thirty third, and you're thinking, what's the difference? Otherwise, because it is still tenths of a second and less and because it's difficult to pass i think qualifying matters and has mattered for the last couple of years more than it used to doesn't mean you can't go from the back to the front like simon pagino did last year and some others have done but it's just a little bit more difficult to happen so i think it's a little bit closer to road course qualifying that you really one, you want to be in the top 12 to get the extra network TV time. But I think you want to be 15th compared to 20th. That's five spots that you don't need to get in the first stint to set yourself up later for the race. Well, I think I think part of the discussion may hinder may hinge on the idea that there's going to be cars in the 25 to 33 range that aren't going to be really top 15 contenders. And yep. and you're probably going to have some of those guys a little more focused, and that may be really what what we were driving at. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. And you're right about the boost; you can't turn it down, and and so it kind of does you no good to to kind of tune your car to something that is is a little bit uh, false because that's not how you're going to race. But you know. Race conditions are are really what we see more of. You know, I remember it wasn't too long ago that those, you know, you didn't see the kind of action like we saw today. You didn't see that until deep in the week. I mean, you know, guys had been on the racetrack uh, quite a lot by this point before they started running in these big groups. That kind of started really with the Andretti guys probably, what, 2016 or 2017, where we started Mm -hmm. to see these big groups so quickly in the week. So day one and we already see a lot of it which is why i said earlier the no tow report is really uh, a mirage because 
almost nobody was out there by themselves today unless it was uh, very early on. And I think that's one of the reasons for, you know, we all miss the days of a full month of May and all this practice time. But the problem was we saw a lot of sitting around. And we can all recall the days not that long ago where we might be looking at the track and it's green and there might not be anybody on the track. I can recall sitting in the PA booth when that's happened before. And and a lot of times when there's two or three and Boy, I remember brief moments where maybe we had three or four on track, but that was short-lived. And one of the reasons why it was so busy today was, hey, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. So already you're getting to Thursday, which is going to be your last day to work on the race car until Monday. So you got to get after it at this point. But even if it wasn't going to rain tomorrow, I still think that we would have seen similar running because they wouldn't know, hey, it might rain Thursday, Friday. We can't trust an Indiana weather forecast three days out at this point. So that's been one of the advantages of the shortened schedules that it does. It it makes it more entertaining to go to the track because you know you're going to see race cars in action on the track the entire time. And this was fun today. And what we'll be watching yeah, the- tomorrow, hopefully, and Thursday is, you know, when we start to look more, do they get the cars better can somebody third and fourth in line get around someone or do you like Hinch talked about just have to wait for a mistake like uh, we talk about in a lot of fronts that's true this this schedule really uh, really defines the fact that it gets late early earlier (laughs) because you're right there used to be so much time that uh, you could kind of ease yourself into it or, or go out by yourself if you wanted to or go out with three or four or five cars. And really, it was giddy up even in the morning session today. Uh, you had groups of cars that you typically wouldn't have seen until deeper into the process a few years back. So it was really fun. Um, I think the weather was just perfect. I took a walk during the 1 to 3 o'clock hour and went through the garage area and saw a lot of people and it just it just felt like May and and there's no better feeling for people that listen to this show and, and love Indianapolis and the Speedway and so forth. And uh, it felt like May today. Andy Merrick is uh, up there with our buddy Indy 44, Matt Archuleta, as a must follow on Twitter for IndyCar fans. And he sends this to me. Power on his day. I was running deep in traffic. Get a feel. It was actually pretty good. Just need to get running by ourselves a little better. It's hard to be good in traffic and not be loose up front trying to work on that. I'm pretty happy with the race car. And that goes along with what I remember he told me at the end of the test. The race car is fine. What I don't know is how we're going to be in qualifying. And they may not know until they get to Friday. And as Hinch explained, and we've talked about before, sometimes one manufacturer works better with the extra boost than the other. So who is that going to be? And it, it appears that Chevy has something different to begin with already this year last year it was honda that was better in qualifying but chevy was fine or pretty close as far as the race was concerned will there be a difference this weekend too well it's interesting you say that so i again i don't like to draw a lot of conclusions to what we saw today but of the top 13 cars uh 10 of them were hondas and Hondas were the first four, and we mentioned how good the Ganassi cars were. You throw in uh, Renus VK on the Chevy side, Joseph Newgarden in ninth, and the other Chevy, 
was Sage Karam. Sage Karam. So a little shout out to the Dry and Reinbold guys who um, making kind of their debut for the 2022 season. So good for them. When we come back, we'll get into some of your Twitter questions, if you have some, and I'll try to look back a little bit at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We'll continue to discuss uh, happenings from today. Uh, I'm going to check in with Kurt with what else. I know I saw something. I haven't had a chance to read the article, but I saw something on Sports Car 365 about IMSA and IMS. So maybe the idea of talking about the head of the FIA in a WEC race a couple of weeks ago has worked to put the pressure on IMSA about an endurance race at IMS in 23. Nathan Brown might have wrote about this as well. So uh, everybody look into that. And let's summarize that coming up in just a moment. And we'll have some commentary and much more on the opening day for practice for the Indianapolis 500. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Takuma Sato. You are listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Fastest of the day today, the two-time winner, 228.939 miles per hour in his Nurtec ODT Dale Coyne with Rick Ware Racing Honda. Thanks for staying with us. 93.5, The Fan. We continue nightly for an hour, followed by Beyond the Bricks with Mike Thompson and Jake Query coming up at 8 o'clock. Coverage of uh, practice on Peacock all day, every day, noon until 6. This weekend, make note, Peacock is where you need to find us on Saturday and Sunday. And then the final two hours of practice, the Fast 12, knockout qualifying, two rounds of that, uh, that is going to be on NBC, still on Peacock on Sunday afternoon. And they did uh, finalize and confirm the, the change of the schedule. They wiped off the last row shootout and so forth. So 31 through 33 are not going to have to go out and requalify on Sunday to determine where they're going to be between 31 and 33. So if you're 13 through 33 at the end of the day, Saturday, that is your starting position for the race and you can take Sunday off. I just wanted to say, and I know you're, you're on the broadcast and and this isn't for you to say, but I'll say it, but all these years of me coming to the racetrack and people at home couldn't, couldn't really follow what was going on unless they were getting radio updates. I mean, the, the opportunity to listen to the IMS radio network or to listen, you know, through the various opportunities or to, or to watch Peacock. I mean, we've come so far, but I know, you know, I just, I just want to say what a great, great coverage you get of this race and the practice days and the qualifying days, it used to just be hourly updates, and it's so much more than that, and uh, we are, we're all appreciative of that. You know, I wish in a perfect world it was free, but I wish I went to the grocery store and I just picked out what I wanted, and it was free too. That's kind of how it works. It costs something to produce these things, and everybody's trying to make a living. And I'll, I'll say this too, because I, I see tweets about, you know, why don't we have – telemetry all the time and the last lap speed and deltas and all this this is not this is not the full crew um we're we're still trying to save and i say we i'm not in charge of budget as we know but we don't have the i have no idea how many people we have but it's in the hundreds that we have on a race weekend 
certainly for the Indy 500. And it's, you know, a dozen, a couple. Of, it's actually, I'm sure, many more than that because it still takes the camera people. But the point is we don't have the exact resources that we have on race day. There are not as many people in the truck. Some of the people are multitasking, doing two or three jobs at one time. That said, like you're pointing out, it's a significant step up on quality than just simply static cameras and taking a PA feed, which is what we used to have. And by the way, most of us love that. We just like hearing the sounds of the racetrack and seeing a car go by a camera. But uh, I feel pretty good about what we're doing, and I know radio feels the same. Sam, is radio on the rest of the week in the afternoon, or was that just yes, an opening day kind of thing? 12 you're doing all day and today they only did three to six because <laughs> they were smart they decided we're not covering one car for two hours but on peacock we like a challenge so it was the <laughs> Stephen wilson show and you know what i'm glad we did it because it's a story worth telling uh, this is a commercial sports and we as the tv partner are partners we are our partners we have a deal with you know, I don't I don't work for IndyCar. I don't work for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but there is a relationship between NBC Sports and the track and IndyCar and in some ways with the teams as well. And we understand that, hey, it, it, we're in business to help each other out as much as we can. You know, sometimes there's a journalistic issue. We may say things that not everybody is pleased with, but when we can, we want to help the sport grow. And this is a chance today to give some love to that team and people just want to see anytime there's a car on track and it worked out great if you weren't watching peacock today uh, and that that's i think the number one reason why we decided to stay on the air because we knew that there were 32 drivers that could not be in a race car and i'm going to say dylan and parker talked to about a dozen of them at least in sometimes long form interviews during that time so worked out really well and I would say, well, I think all of us who who follow this sport have a great appreciation for Stefan Wilson. And I've tried to say that Elton Julian is another guy you should you should uh, show some support to at Dragon Speed. Uh, but Don Cusick, after those interviews today, both on radio and on Peacock, Don Cusick, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I had not met him last year. And his energy and his story mm -hmm. and, and his love for the sport. That's a guy I think I'd, I'd like to go have a beer with. That's a, that seems like a really good guy. He's the, the kind of guy that a person doesn't matter whether it's a guy or a woman, but he's the person that IndyCar is looking for someone that's done really well. That's a, a sportsman. You know, that's kind of what ownership was about back in the day. Someone that's wealthy and is okay spending a little bit of his own money because he's made enough. Now, you know, and the, the key is this is an expensive sport, so eventually you need to find partners, and he has done that, and he's found partners, and he's had good connections to be able to work something together, but, but he's a true racer. So he's not just someone that is, oh, this looks cool. I want to get involved. As he said, I had, I had visions when I was young of getting to IndyCar racing. So he's been, you know, more of a sports car racer and just kind of a, a hobbyist, but but that's fantastic what they've been able to do, and you want to see them grow. I want to see more opportunities in the future for them. A few Twitter questions with the hashtag trackside. Pat Carroll says, since the forecast for Saturday is 78% chance rain, what are the rules of all 33 don't get a shot qualifying on Saturday? I would say at this point, don't spend a whole lot of time on a Saturday forecast. Um, 
but it does matter. And when it's 78 percent, it's going to rain at some point. Maybe it comes a little bit earlier. Maybe it comes a little bit later. But they would they would change the rules as they go along, Kurt. They would just make uh, a new format for Sunday. And they would make an announcement late on Saturday what the format is going to be. But it would be subject to change. Yeah, the TV window for the for the poll run is late in the afternoon. So I think they would, you know, they'd have time on Sunday. They'd get started probably a little bit earlier. They had a lot of work yeah. to do if if you didn't run on Saturday. But I agree with your premise. I, I, I can't even predict the weather on my drive home tonight, let alone uh, <laughs> next, you know, five days from now, four days, whatever you it know, is. They, they could start as early as if they had to, 10 a.m., on sunday because you're not worried about tv times it's on peacock so that is one advantage of that you don't have to find a television window you are already on peacock and you want to be done with everyone getting a chance by ideally by 2 30 or so so you can set the top 12 and then have the the top four rows decided on network television between four until six luckily for now forecast looks good now what if it pushes back you know what if it rains on sunday and not on saturday well then that's why those speeds matter on saturday you know i've been saying hey you'd kind of maybe in some ways wouldn't mind being 12th 11th or 10th and going out early um now the fear there would be is maybe it's a little bit warmer but to give your car more of a chance to cool down for the run at the fast six but that would be a reason to I'd still like to be fastest on Saturday because if it rained all day on Sunday, I feel pretty confident that Saturday's final qualifying would be the starting lineup for the race. Absolutely. That that would be the that would be the case. So uh, I'm trying to scroll through and see if I see any other hashtag. Uh, well, I do that. We had some news today. I kind of touched on this. Uh, there's a little bit of news on what might be happening at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway next year for non-IndyCar events. So there was there was some reporting done on this project. One, I think it seems clear uh, that the people in F1 and I think the people in Indianapolis ultimately uh, have trouble seeing. I think the quote in a Nathan Brown story was, they have trouble seeing it, uh, an F1 race here at IMS in the future. And also uh, multiple reports about, uh, you know, a sports car race coming to Indianapolis. We've talked about this uh, pretty extensively. IMS would probably ideally like this to be in the fall. Uh, you know, it's probably doesn't fit into the plans of an endurance race, meaning you know, 24 hours, even though Roger Penske likes the idea of a 24-hour race. But the chance to bring IMSA here seems to be gaining momentum by the day. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in 23, uh, but no firm plans yet. You know, to the F1 thing, uh, it, it's what we've been talking about before and really what we've been talking about for a couple of years. You know, at one point I had some optimism that, F1 would need a home in America, and and this was before, you know, a pandemic helped uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix become a, a superstar hit, and, and that worked in their favor. But they're going to want to have a home, and if Circuit of the Americas three years ago was in peril, you know, they were in danger sure. of losing their state funding, and a, a lot of people thought they're going to be done 
pretty soon. And then it's, well, what's the next best place? It's ready-made and is um, eligible to be a Formula One track. It's right here in Indianapolis. And at that time, I thought it's probably going to happen. And then you see the resurgence of what's going on at Circuit of the Americas. Okay, that's probably going to be tough. And then when Miami comes on, they've already got two events probably not going to see a third and then you add a third in vegas there's no way right now they're adding a fourth uh and they're certainly not discounting and here's the other scenario the 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 way it could have happened is f1 would have had to need ims much more than ims needed f1 which would mean a significant discount because there is no way to be able to make your money back if you're paying a 30 million dollar sanctioning fee there's not enough sponsorship that is available to do that. And I think I think F1 has has moved on uh, from thinking, you know, let's go to Indianapolis and in a big a big facility that that makes us look small because even if we draw well, we're not going to draw like, you know, the Indianapolis 500. It's going to look empty even though they draw well. Uh, and then the Miami thing was a bigger success, I think, than even you and I expected. I think we thought at first, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't in a parking lot. And then we saw, well, okay, it looked like it could go pretty well. And it, I think it was a home run in terms of uh, an event. And uh, I think Vegas will be similar. So let me go to some of my media sources for sports car news and people that are on the beat to 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 and I'm just going to I haven't read this so we're going to be doing it on the fly but John DeGeese at Sports Car 365 is a a trusted resource and is on the ball and all these things not that Nathan isn't but that's not his beat you know he he's got his sources here at IMS and I haven't even read Nathan's story so maybe it has all of it in there. But from what you said, I think there's more information out there. IMSA is looking at all schedule options for 23, according to series president John Doonan, who has not ruled out the addition of an endurance race at IMS. Uh, last month, he said that a fifth Michelin endurance cup round would not be possible at the moment. However, IMS owner Roger Penske indicated that he remains in talks with IMSA on the potential for an event this year. Penske told reporters earlier this month that an IMSA race must be an endurance race believed to be at least six hours in length. Sports Car 365 understands that both organizations are currently in advanced negotiations with Indy, likely to replace one or even two existing events on the WeatherTech championship schedule. So I got some guesses, and I think I've even mentioned one of them. Unfortunately, I fear if something goes away, that's going to happen. But let me see if John uh, puts any guesses or has any sources on this, Dunan said the dropping the WeatherTech Championship schedule from 12 to 11 events in total, in total to maintain a similar runtime for competitors is a scenario that could be on the table. So when you're talking sports car racing, it's not just the number of events, it's the number of hours that you're running the car. So if you want to do a 12-hour event, you know that's not replacing a two-hour and 40-minute event as far as the budgets for the teams are concerned. Should Indy be added to the schedule, it would come as a fifth endurance cup round with all four of the existing venues, including the Salem Six Hours of the Glen, serving as a pillar for the series. Dunan said the Glen, track that is owned by NASCAR, has a long-term future, as does the Rolex 24, Sebring, Motul, Petit, Le Mans. Um, okay, he doesn't get into any guessing there. So here would be my first desire, is that Watkins Glen is not a six-hour event that becomes a standard length race 
IndyCar is added on as a combo with that weekend, and then Indianapolis becomes an endurance race, and maybe there is just one casualty. That's my desire. I don't expect that to happen. Uh, the six hours at the Glen has, has a long history, but I, I still want to see IndyCar back at the Glen, and I think the only way it happens is it needs to be combined with sports car racing. No road to Indy there. It's just IndyCar, and then you run as many of the support series, which is part of the business model for IMSA. I fear if something is going away, that Mid-Ohio might be in trouble, and I wonder about Laguna Seca as well. I just watched that race a few days ago. and Now, I know their business not model is not based on fans at the track, uh, but it's a long haul for the teams to go out west for a one-time trip. So if two were to go away, you know, maybe Lime, boy, Lime Rock had a good crowd. Lime, it's a big, I, I did the Lime Rock race. race last year. Yeah, it had a good crowd. Um, Road America has a good crowd. It's not going anywhere. I think those are probably the races that come to mind. I'd be surprised if Detroit is going anywhere, especially you know now going downtown. I don't recall what the official announcement was, but I'd be really surprised if Detroit is in peril in that situation. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it could be. Maybe that is something that uh, is more difficult for a street race closing down and makes the weekend a little bit longer. Maybe it can be shortened if it's just an IndyCar weekend. But I, I know IMSA and the manufacturers like being in Detroit. So that's just kind of a, a, a guess on that. Uh, what else? I know you had a couple other things I thought we should talk about in this segment. Well, uh, the other thing uh, I just wanted to bring up, you know, talk a little bit more about Jimmy. I, I thought that was a, you know, a really strong effort. Uh, it, you know, he talked, he, you guys talked about it, but flying back and forth uh, to help take care of his kids as his, as his wife is on a business trip. I think that's, uh, it would, it so really I, I missed that me. part that I must've taken my headsets off. Tell me the story. So he's, he's going back and forth with, with, pretty good regularity to Charlotte because his wife's not been on overseas on a business trip. Uh, the business, I don't, I can't remember what her business is. I should have paid a little closer attention on that. Maybe it was, it was said, but he didn't say it in our media scrum this afternoon, but yeah, he's, he's flying home. For example, uh, you know, on, on the Monday after, after, um, after qualifying next Monday, he's going to fly home at four o'clock. He's, he's set to go, you know, so well, he's, he's got, got uh, he's got a couple of days he, off there. Yeah. But he's doing dad duty. I mean, I thought yeah. that that's really cool. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, I think the whole thing about his wife having a business trip, <laughs> you just wonder, Hey, we had this on the schedule, this, this Indy 500 thing, but, but, you know, I understand she's, she's, uh, you know, she's got a career as well. So it's just interesting that, that Jimmy has a lot going on and yet, you know, he's making time for, for so many things. He found out yesterday that, uh, he gets, uh, he can have his family, uh, get a photo taken after qualifying. He's like, we don't do that anywhere else. <laughs> he thought that was a big deal. He's excited for his kids. Uh, to be in the photograph with his wife and and uh, to be photographed with their qualifying in their qualifying picture, we know that to be a tradition at Indianapolis. He didn't even know it existed, and uh, so he's excited about that. Although he did say his daughters were more excited uh, to come up here and eat Doritos and drink Sprite. So, uh, 
you know, just being on vacation, so to speak. So I, I don't know. The, just the whole Jimmy story continues to be good. If he wins Rookie of the Year and he's off to a really good start, he'd be the oldest uh, Rookie of the Year winner, uh, beating uh, uh, Lynn St. James. And uh, you guys did bring this up. I was ready to hit you with a trivia question, but apparently – you, uh, Russ Thompson must have suited you up for it, but he's the third oldest rookie. The two that are older, uh, 1998 Jack Hewitt and 2012 Jean Lacy. So interesting stuff about Jimmy, and I hope he does well. So I have an extra source that is helping me with some of my research this month. So I'll credit Scott Richards, uh, who is working for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I think, in the ticket office. And he, he sent me a couple of notes and factoids that I used today, and they were quite nice. So we have – so, you know, Russ is certainly still the senior vice president of uh, analytical data research, but we have associates that are involved in the process as well. All right, we get to the news of the day and see what we missed and more coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5. 107.5 The Fan. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. All right, back on Trackside, and we'll go with the Speedrome Trackside of the News segment. Saturday night's the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech, features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and I love this part. The outrageous fun, always capped by the world-famous, wild and unpredictable figure eights. Tickets start at only $10. Kids 8 and under are free. And June 4th, the return of the crazy school bus figure eight. It's got insane trailer figure eights and demo derbies. Speedrome.com is where you can get all your information. And the news of the day, Kevin, you'll be interested. A very sports car related and yet IndyCar tied announcement is that Ryan Hunter Ray has signed a contract with Chip Ganassi Racing uh, for to, to really work on the development for their 2023 Cadillac program. And as part of that, he'll be an extra DPI endurance driver and do all the usual sports car work. But for an IndyCar crowd, it's important to know that he will be a substitute in case there's an illness or an injury i.e., is there a COVID issue? That'll be important. And it's also important because I heard him uh, speaking to Ryan Marine on the IndyCar Radio Network today talking about, you know, he's got a really good opportunity for 2023 that can win the Indy 500. Hmm, wonder what Ganassi's plans look like in 2023. Does that add up to a, a deal that includes Ryan Hutter Ray? So what would be interesting is, is he is he allowed if Ganassi doesn't offer him a seat for the 500? Would he be allowed to run somewhere else? Because there's no announcement in here uh, in the 500. Would he? My guess would be yes. If they don't offer him something, yeah. they would let him run somewhere else. But yeah, that'd be the number one goal. Um, and there are two potential openings there. At least two potential openings. We don't know what Jimmy Johnson's situation is. We add in the Carvana news recently that we don't know what their situation is. We don't know Tony Kanaan's status for next year either. I think both are going to want to run the Indy 500 with that team. So there's going to be competition there. 
Would it be another car? Would it be another team? So I think there's a good chance it could potentially be another team. I, I just don't know. It's going to depend on – I think Jimmy has a better chance of returning, unfortunately, than Tony does. Tony is coming the end of a two-year contract. He's going to need to be re-signed, and it will likely depend on uh, how how it goes. Goes well. Yeah. I'm going to say he gets to come back. Tony is probably more likely – to have the commercial support than Ryan is. Ryan has not had to go out and find his own partners. Now, maybe he has developed some relationships here in the last little while where he can help bring some funding, but I, I, I got to believe that American Legion really likes Tony, and then he's got many associates as well that can help fund a race car, plus he's someone that you'd, I think, want to hire anyway at this point so that's interesting so a test driver for the new lmdh program gtp is the class next year there's nothing said there's nothing definitive if he's going to have a drive but i think it said he's potentially an endurance driver and the first fill-in well, I think it's really good news for Ryan, who is uh, very deserving of an Indy 500 ride. And by the way, his Indy 500 opportunity might be part of his pay for doing this development deal. It could be part of the part of the deal. Anyway, that's our news of the day. Uh, next Wednesday and Thursday, May 25th and 6th at Circle City Raceway. And that marks the return of the biggest names in USAC Amsoil National Sprint Cars running a two-night extravaganza presented by Maston and Kane Warehousing Services. You're talking about Brady Bacon, C.J. Leary, Justin Grant, Tanner Thornson. And those are just some of the names slated to race. And JMV will be live on site on Wednesday at Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. You can find all the information at CircleCityRaceway.com. And, and Ryan is helping Callum Eilat as well, working with That's right. Hunkos Hollinger Racing uh, as, as a driver coach for uh this year throughout the month all right fun day today we'll try again tomorrow noon until six is when thing goes weather permitting uh we'll be on peacock i do not believe if it's pouring down rain you know i know radio kevin can get a lot done but i believe we're going to lay out for a little while if uh, we lose the track at any point or at least that's going to be my request uh then we'll be back here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and the same for the rest of the week and look forward to a good qualifying weekend. Don't forget the Prime 47 Indy Downtown Burger Bash at the USAC building, 16th and Main coming up on Monday night. And for out-of-towners, we've got a little program at 5.30 at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park on Carb Night. A little more low-key, but we're going to be gathering people and chatting at the midway before you go in the grandstands, 5.30 to 6.30 on Friday night, the 27th, before the race. We'll talk more about that as we continue. For Kurt and Sam, I'm Kevin, and it's Beyond the Bricks with Jake and Mike coming up next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.